Hi, Gary Zacharias here with the Apologist Bookshelf. I wanted to take a look at a book by Hugh Ross today called The Creator and the Cosmos. You probably have heard of Hugh Ross. He's the founder and president of Reasons to Believe. It's a science faith organization. Written a lot of books. Uh, interesting guy. I've had a chance to meet him and talk to him. A very interesting individual. Uh, this Creator and the Cosmos is a real foundational book. And uh, it'll share some things with a book that I reviewed some time ago called Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen Meyer and uh, The Creator Revealed by Mike Strauss. But I wanted to share with you especially something I find fascinating in one section here. By the way, Strauss actually compliments this uh, book. He says the book is required reading for any person who asks if there is sufficient evidence for God Obtained through careful observations of nature, the answer is unequivocally yes. And then another person that really likes this book is somebody I admire a lot, James Tour, Ph.D., professor of chemistry and nanoengineering. He says, The sense of wonder in God's creation is magnificently woven into each chapter in a way that draws the reader to the Creator himself. Tour is quite a guy. If you have a chance, uh, you can look up some of his material on the Internet. He does a lot of... Uh, uh, videos and he's got books and a uh, tremendous individual. So this book, Creating a Cosmos, says whether you're skeptical of God's existence or seeking scientific support for your faith, the creator in the cosmos will enable you to see how the heavens do declare the glory of God. So he's basically explaining recent scientific measurements of the universe that really point to a purposeful origin. So I'm going to take you to a chapter uh, kind of in the middle here. And we get to the stars. Call it just right universe. And what he does at the beginning is uh, he tells you to go take a look at a, a an appendix that he's got in the back. And in that appendix, he's got evidence for the fine tuning of the universe. You know, this has grown and grown. This list. There's just a few items, and then more people find out what's going on out there. The more they realize how carefully balanced all of these forces are for life to be here. So, for example, the, the strong nuclear force has to be exactly the, the measurement that it is today. And the same with the weak nuclear force. And the gravitational force has to be exactly right. How fast the universe is expanding has to be exactly right. I mean, for example, if it was expanding any more uh, quickly, all material would fly apart and you wouldn't get stars and, and us. If the material was, uh, of the universe was expanding more slowly, it wouldn't separate. you just get a big glob. Uh, the velocity of light has to be exactly right. The age of the universe has to be precisely right. The distance between the stars, how many supernova explosions there are, what kinds and how many galaxy clusters, and it goes on and it goes on. I can, um, I'm looking at the list here. It's, he's got 60 items, 60, 60 items, and they've even grown since the book came out. All right, well, that's the universe. Then what about our local area here in the solar system and the Earth and all? Well, even in the galaxy, our own galaxy, it has to be the right kind of galaxy, the right location. Um, the parent star mass has to be exactly right. In the case of our sun, the color of it has to be exactly right, or you don't get life. It's not just a case of, oh, well, it might be harder for life to come about. You don't get life. We have to be the right distance from the sun. We have to have the axle tilted exactly right. The rotation period, the magnetic field has to be precise. The thickness of our crust of the earth, the reflective uh, capabilities called albedo, the oxygen to nitrogen ratio in our atmosphere, and on and on and on. And again, I won't uh, bore you with a lot of these. I'm trying to 
get through them pretty quickly, but there are even more of these. I'm flipping through the pages here. I'm up to 92. Uh, I'm over 100. Good grief. I don't remember how many are in here. Uh, now we're in the 120s, 130s, and it increases 140s. Okay, it ends at 150. Those are things that have to be exactly right. We're not talking about, oh, few degrees one way or another. No, it has to be precise or you don't get life. Well, based on this, is this just a bunch of Christians that are going around discussing this and it's only Christians that are moved by this? This is the part that I wanted to slow down and, and share with you because I find it fascinating. I love it when we can find people who are not believers, but they are buying into what we've been saying because it's so obvious. So do we have a just right universe or is this something that Christians are just tweaking? No, it is a just right universe. So let me share with you in the next few minutes what some famous scientists have said. Let's take Fred Hoyle, very famous astronomer. He said, a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology. Wow. Now he is not a believer. Here's what else he said. I don't believe that any scientist who examined the evidence would fail to draw the inference that the laws of nuclear physics have been deliberately designed. Do you hear those last two words? Deliberately designed. Then there's Paul Davies. Uh, I love reading his material. He's a sharp guy. He's not a believer. Um, Hugh Ross says he's moved from promoting atheism to acknowledging the laws of physics seem to be, in his words, the product of exceedingly ingenious design. Yeah, in fact, Davy said there's, for me, powerful evidence that there's something going on behind it all. The impression of design is overwhelming. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. Yeah, somebody. Gee, I wonder who, Paul. So Paul Davies, by the way, has a book out called The Eerie Silence. And what he says in there is, is pretty shocking. I remember how enthusiastic people used to be like Carl Sagan a long time ago when they set up the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, the SETI program. They were just sure because of all the billions of stars out there that a, a certain small percent, let's say, but still a, a percent of those would have life going around them in orbits on, on different planets. And so there must be life teeming throughout the universe. Well, Paul Davies, in his book, recently has said, I don't think there's life outside this solar system. We're probably it. Isn't that something? We are probably it. Now, that speaks for this fine-tuning, for sure. But let me give you some other quotations, because, again, that's the point of this particular podcast, is the people that are involved here. Here's an astronomer, George Greenstein. As we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency, or rather, here comes a capital A, agency, must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of a supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos for our benefit? Well, those are some pretty heavy questions there. Here's a theoretical physicist, Tony Rothman. The medieval theologian who gazed at the night sky through the eyes of Aristotle and saw angels moving the spheres in harmony has become the modern cosmologist who gazes at the same sky through the eyes of Einstein and sees the hand of God, not in angels, but in the constants of nature. When confronted, when confronted with the order and beauty of the universe and the strange coincidences of nature, it's very tempting to take the leap of faith from science into religion. Now, I wouldn't call that a leap of faith, would you? 
Anyway, he says this, I'm sure many physicists want to, you know, take that leap. I only wish they would admit it. Well, frankly, a lot of these are admitting it. So let me give you a few more quotations. Here are two people that wrote an article that got published in the journal called Nature, pretty well-known journal. And they're talking about the anthropic principle. That's a name for this, the fact that so much of the universe looks exactly set up for life, for human life, anthropo. So it says nature, this is a Bernard Carr and Martin Rees wrote this article in Nature. Nature does exhibit remarkable coincidences and these do warrant some explanation. Oh, really? Some explanation? Are you kidding me? Carr later said in a different article, one would have to conclude either that the features of the universe invoked in support of the anthropic principle are only coincidences or that the universe was indeed tailor-made for life. I'll leave it to the theologians to ascertain the identity of the tailor. So do you see how he's, he's opening it up, saying it's either coincidence and got to be the most major coincidence of all time, or it's tailor-made for life. Physicist Freeman Dyson says this, The problem here, talking about the anthropic principle again, the problem here is to try to formulate some statement of the ultimate purpose of the universe. In other words, the problem is to read the mind of God. Hmm. And he said this, I don't feel like an alien in this universe. The more I examine the universe and study the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known that we were coming. Oh, I love that line, don't you? The universe must have known we were coming. That makes no sense. If he's talking about the universe as matter, space, time, and energy, it would not sense or know anything, would it? So he's really talking about some supernatural being outside of the universe. But I like how he kind of doesn't really want to go that far. Uh, Vera Kistiakowski, she's a professor emerita at MIT, and she's past president of the Association of Women in Science. Okay, so this is a pretty heavy hitter. She said, The exquisite order displayed by our scientific understanding of the physical world calls for the divine. Wow. Arno Penzias. Nobel Prize winner for physics. He discovered the cosmic background radiation that was left over from the Big Bang. Here's what he had to say. Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with a very delicate balance needed to provide exactly conditions required to permit life, and, which, and, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Wow. Uh, how about this? Here's a man from Moscow, or worked in Moscow, a theoretician and a fellow at an institute in Moscow, said, we know that nature is described by the best of all possible mathematics because God created it. Huh. Roger Penrose. Okay. He's a colleague of Stephen Hawking, distinguished mathematician. Penrose said, I would say the universe has a purpose. It's not there just somehow by chance. Wow. Even Stephen Hawking, who really has turned into quite an atheist toward the last of his life, but Hawking and Penrose's colleague, George Ellis, made this statement in a paper they delivered. Amazing fine-tuning occurs in the laws that make this complexity possible. Realization of the complexity of what is accomplished makes it very difficult not to use the word miraculous without taking a stand as to its ontological status of that word. So, they want to use the word miraculous without really invoking God. Huh. Even Hawking conceded this. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in just this way, except 
as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. Now, he later had a book, and he tried to back off of that, but uh, that's what he said. Um, here's a cosmologist, Edward Harrison. Here's the cosmological proof of the existence of God, updated and refurbished, he says. Okay, I'll just do a couple more, and then we'll end this uh, podcast. Alan Sandage, and he's won a huge prize in astronomy, really equivalent to the Nobel Prize. He said, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence why there is something instead of nothing? Here's a, a mathematician, won a, a big award, Robert Griffiths. If we need an atheist for a debate, I go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much use. <laughs> Then this is about quite a famous quote by an astrophysicist, Robert Jastrow, calls himself an agnostic, had several uh, best-selling books. Here's what he said. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Wow, that's a good one, huh? And then Ross ends this section of his book by saying, In all my conversations with those that are researching the characteristics of the universe, and he said everything I've read, he says not one person denies the conclusion that the cosmos appears to have been crafted to make it a fit habitat for life. And that, that, that's it. Isn't it. I mean, that's interesting. So you can't find anybody, they'll take a different stand. They'll say, yeah, it looks crafted, definitely. And then they sometimes try to work around that, and they have great difficulty with it. Uh, so this is a book, again, called The Creator and the Cosmos by Hugh Ross, and I think you might enjoy that one. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon.